It is my honor to uh, introduce our speaker this morning, Mr. Don Rogers. You all know Don. Don and his family are long-term members of uh, Neighborhood Church. Don also um, spent several years in YWAM and taught at the University of Nations. And we are so excited to have him speak to us this morning and uh, just excited to hear what the Lord has laid on his heart. So, so Lord, uh, just thank you. Thank you for uh, Don and for his heart to serve you, Lord. And Lord, we are so excited to hear the message that you have laid on his heart, Lord. May you uh, bless him as he speaks to us this morning. And Lord, may we listen, may we hear and obey your message this morning. Give us hearts to hear. And we thank you, Lord. Bless your name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. And good morning, Neighborhood Church, those of you here in the house and online. I remember the first time that I saw God multiply. It was here at Neighborhood. It was out there in the parking lot. The year was 1996, and I was on the youth pastor team here at this church, and we were hosting a citywide youth gathering. All the churches around town were sending their kids here. We were starting out a progressive all-nighter. There's about 200 kids that descended upon this place. And as I was looking at the throng of kids with my buddy Bill, who was another youth pastor here in town, and I saw the cooler of sodas that we had, we were trying to do the math and realized there's way too many kids for the amount of sodas that we had. No time to go get more from the store. We had things to do. So what did we do? We stopped and we prayed. And we asked God to multiply this little cooler of sodas. And you know what? Throughout the evening, we didn't hear any kids complaining about something to drink. And we looked at the cooler at the end of the evening. There were still sodas there. And I believe that if God could do it then, he can do it now. Are you with me? All right. So here's what we're doing. We are unpacking a thousand names of God. We're looking at the awe, the majesty of some of these names. And today we want to go deep with the name of Adonai Jireh. But before we do that, we want to look at some amazing text from God's word. Let's take a look at Genesis. Back in Genesis 12, we see this fellow by the name of Abraham. He's introduced. He's 75 years old and he's childless and there's a yearning on his heart. And in Genesis 12, it says this, Then Adonai said to Abram, Get going from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. Further on in chapter 15, we read this. He, Adonai, took him, Abraham, outside and said, Look up at the night sky. Do you see the stars? And count them if you're able to. So shall your seed be. Further on, about 25 years later, in chapter 21, we see that Abraham is now 100 years old. And his wife, Sarah, is 90 years old. And God is saying, this is the time. This is the time for the promise, your son. And behold, Isaac is born. And they are stoked. They have their most precious possession, this little child with them. 
Sometime later, Isaac is growing. He's older. We don't know how old. But in chapter 22, we see God say to Abraham, 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 here I am. Abraham, take your son, your one and only son whom you love. Take him to the land of Moriah, to a mountain that I will show you. And there you're to offer him as a sacrifice. You can imagine what was going on inside Abraham's heart. You can imagine the turmoil that he felt. But the word says that Abraham obeyed. And the next morning, he got a couple of his servants, the donkey. He got some firewood cut up. He got a pot of fire. He got his knife. And he took his son Isaac with him. And they went on a journey to Moriah. And when they were in the land, God was highlighting the mountain. And Abraham said to his servants, you two stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will continue on to offer a sacrifice and then we shall return to you. So Abraham puts the wood on his son Isaac. He has the pot of fire. He has his knife. And they're continuing on. And Isaac says, my father, Behold, the wood, the fire, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham says, my son, Adonai will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. You can imagine what's going on in his heart. Abraham makes an altar, takes the wood from his son. He grabs hold of his son. He binds him up. He lays him on the altar. He takes out his knife and he's ready to sacrifice his son. When the angel of the Lord says to him, Abraham, Abraham. Do not harm that child. Now I know that you fear me. You will not even withhold your only son from me. And behold, Abraham looked, and over in a thicket, there was a ram caught by its horns. Just appeared, it was there. Abraham caught the ram, and he took it, and he bound it up. He released his son and he took the ram and he offered it as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And it is said that on that mountain, that mountain is called Adonai Jireh, for on this mountain, the Lord shall provide. You see, Abraham had skin in the game, his most precious possession. He was called to sacrifice. Yet God saw and provided a substitute for the sacrifice. Adonai Yaira saw and provided. And today we're unpacking this name, 
Adonai Yaira. Perhaps you've seen it other ways is Jehovah Jireh, is Yahweh Jireh. We're going to look at some of these words. We're, we're, we're exploring together these thousand names of God. And there's such a richness and a texture that goes beyond our ability to understand in the English language. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the word God in English, it's like abstract. It's out there. It's distant. It's impersonal. Perhaps you're the same way. Or when you hear the word Lord, it's like, what exactly does that mean? There's like little Lord, and then there's capital L-O-R-D, Lord. What exactly do those terms mean? And sometimes they just go right over our heads. And we're like trying to figure out what exactly does that mean? Because it's a little bit out there. It's a little bit impersonal. It's a little bit abstract. But let's look at the richness and the texture of the Hebrew. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've been digging into this for a while. And I want to share with you some things that I've been able to glean out of it. You ready? You ready? All right. All right. Let's start with Adonai. So Adonai is the Hebrew root for the word that we get, Lord. But it's so much more than that. It's my Lord. It's my master. Let that sink in for a moment. It's talking about relationship. It's talking about something that's personal. It's talking about ownership. My master. The one who's in control. So that's the first word. Second word we have is Jehovah. The Hebrews, the Jews, thought that this name was so awesome, so mighty, that it could not even be pronounced. And so they boiled it down to Yahweh. There was reverence, Yahweh. Not some distant God that's impersonal. Not some little God deity that was part of the local landscape. But the creator, the sustainer of the universe, Yahweh. So here's a little bit of context with these names. Let's take a look at Jireh. This is a fun one. We have these different symbols that you may see up here, up on the board. Look, at, look in the, uh, the purple and green screen up there. They almost look like hieroglyphics. But the first one is Yud. Say with me, Yud. Yud. This is the arm or the hand of work. The next one is Resh. This is the head, the chief, the one who oversees. The next one is hey. Say hey with me. Hey. All right. You got it. This is look, reveal, behold. And taken together because this is like a, a compound word. It's like strawberry. All right. Or bed bug. It's a compound word. So you got these things together. You got yud, rush, and hey that form this word 
Jireh. And in Hebrew, it kind of boils down to this. Behold, the hand of God who provides for man by his work. I want to make sure that I got that right. Behold, the hand of God who provides for man by his work. Now think about that in context with our English equivalent that we see in so many passages that said God provides or the God who provides. There's so much more to this. There is perspective. There is increase. There's multiplication. There's awareness that's tied into this by the creator of the universe who's personal, who's with us because he is our master. Perhaps a better translation would be, in English, the God of vision and provision. Let that sink in for a little bit. Cool thing is that all this points toward Jesus, the Passover lamb. And John the Baptist got this. In John chapter 1, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little bit further on, Jesus talks about himself in John chapter three. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. And you know what? God had skin in the game. He had his one and only son, his most precious treasure, offered up as the substitute lamb for you and I to take upon our sin, to take upon our condemnation, to take upon our failure and provide a way back to restoration and back to relationship, Papa God. God had skin in the game. Adonai, Yaira, had skin in the game. He saw and he provided for the sake of others. We see this as a constant theme, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In 1 Kings 17, we encounter Elijah. And at this time, there's this extreme drought and famine in the land of Israel. And he goes to this place called Zarephath and he encounters this widow who has a son. And he says to her, ma'am, please give me a drink of water. And she complies. She gives him some water. And he says, please give me a morsel of bread. She says, whoa, hold on now. I've got a little bit of flour and I've got a little bit of oil in my jug as you know, look at me, I'm picking up sticks here because I'm going back. I'm going to bake some bread for my son and I. We're going to eat and then we're going to die. Game over. Elijah says, as Adonai lives, hear the word of Adonai. You make me some bread first. And you make you and your son some bread first, after that. And then, you know what? This jar of flour that you have and this jug of, I was going to say wine, that's not it. This jug of oil 
is going to last until Adonai sends back rain to the land. And sure enough, the flour and the oil never ran out. And both the woman and her son and Elijah had sustenance during that season. God cares for the widows and the orphans. He sees and he provides. Amen. We see the power of Adonai Jireh in the life of Jesus. So Jesus and his mom and his disciples are hanging out at a wedding celebration in Cana. They're three days into it. And the typical Jewish wedding at that time might last up to seven days. They got into it. They partied. So here's day three. Jesus' mom says, hey, they've run out of wine. Woman, that's not our problem. What's that have to do with us? It's not my time yet. Excuse me, you, yes, come over here. She says to one of, the, one of the servants, come over here, do whatever he says. Hi, all right, here's what you're gonna do. You see those six stone jars that are up there? I want you to go and fill them up with water. Water, yes, water, okay. All right, we filled them up, they're done. All right, cool, here's what you're gonna do. I want you to go take a ladle and draw out some of the liquid from there and take it to the master of ceremonies and give it to him. You want me to take, yes, take some of the liquid over to the master of ceremonies. Okay. So gives it to the master of ceremonies. The master of ceremonies takes a little sip and says, whoa, that's amazing. Where did this come from? And the servant explains, that man over there just made it. You can imagine what the master of ceremonies is thinking right now. It's like, come on, don't pull my leg. This is important. We've got a wedding here. Where did you get this? So he sees the bridegroom and he motions the bridegroom. Excuse me, sir. Most people save the cheap wine for later on in the wedding when people are ready to get drunk. But you've saved the best for last. And the Bible talks about this and says that this was the first of Jesus' miracles and it revealed of the, the glory of God and his disciples saw and believed. And think about, think about this context. It's a wedding celebration. God is putting his exclamation point on this couple getting married and the fact that this was a great celebration and Jesus was endorsing it and didn't want there to be embarrassment, but he did it for the sake of others. And it wasn't just two buck chuck wine, something cheap. It was an exquisite varietal. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Those jars that you see up there, they would hold the equivalent of 20 to 30 gallons of liquid each. And there were six of them. 
So on estimate, there was between 120 to 180 gallons of an exquisite varietal, unsurpassed. The world's never seen it before because the creator made it. These carboy containers hold five gallons each. Imagine if we had 30 of these, what kind of party we could have. This is God's heart is to bless. And when he does it, it's extravagant. And there's multiple times in the scripture where we see Jesus do the amazing. Think about it. He took loaves and fishes, a little boy's lunch, and fed multitudes, 4,000 on one occasion of just men, not counting the women and children because they didn't count how many people were there. He did it again another time with another 5,000. And there was fish and bread left over. Amazing. He took fish and said, Peter, go down, catch some fish, and there's going to be a gold coin for you and I to pay our taxes. And there was multiple times that the disciples saw Jesus provide through healings, through restorations, through provision. We're going to take a look at uh, Luke chapter 5, familiar story, disciples with Jesus out on a fishing boat. And we're going to look at this clip from The Chosen. Here we go. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing.
Brother, and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. As well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. I love that scene. Disciples had skin in the game. They were fishermen through thick and thin. And yet Adonai Jairus showed up and blowed away their expectations and did the amazing. I want to share with you some stories from YWAM. Earlier on, Dave acknowledge that my wife Heather and I and our kids have been involved with YWAM for a number of years in the University of the Nations. I want to share with you a cool story from way back in the early days, back in the 70s. This fellow that you see over here on the left in the picture by that truck, his name is Lauren Cunningham. He's the founder of YWAM. And at the time, he was living in Lausanne, Switzerland. And the Holy Spirit was saying to him, I'm going to give you all YWAM, a farm here in Switzerland. He said, okay, Lord. Yes, I agree. A little bit later, there was an auction that came up. One of the local farms there in Lausanne was auctioning off some farm equipment. So he went there. He ended up getting a wagon, a milk can, and some baling wire. And he brought it back to the Lausanne campus and was showing it to his staff and to the students. And they're all kind of scratching their heads saying, what are we going to do with this? 
And he shared this word that the Holy Spirit had shared with him that we're going to receive a farm from God. And they started praying into it together. And they said, yes. One of the girls, a Swiss girl, was visiting her family home in Bertigny, which is at the base of Mount Blanc in Switzerland. She shares with her father this story, this word. And her father is just shaking his head and saying, uh-uh, that's not how it works here in Switzerland. We don't sell our farms. We don't give them away. We hand them down generation to generation. This guy was out in the community and he saw one of his neighbors and the neighbor says, you would not believe it, but God spoke to me that I'm supposed to give my farm away. And the guy says, I know just who you're supposed to give it to. This group from YWAM. So they got this beautiful, amazing farm with houses and barns and dairy on it. And they've used it as a training facility. It's in a place called Bertigny. But that's not the only place. There's countless examples where YWAMers all over the world in about 1,700 different operating locations on six continents have received funds for their schools, for their outreaches. They've had provision of houses and apartments and schools and warehouses and farms and castles and hospitals and office complexes. And the list goes on and on. Let me share with you on the next slide some examples. Over here on the left is a place called YWAM Ships Campus. It's right on the water in Kona. I'll come back to it in a minute. Over here in the middle, up above, that red building, that's Richardson Springs. That's YWAM Chico. That's just a stone's throw away from here, right on the outside of town. Used to be a former hotel. To the right of that is um, Hernhut. Excuse me. YWAM Hernhut in Germany. You've heard of Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians and the 100-year prayer season that they had. That's where it occurred, in Hernhut. Next to that is Seamill. That's on the coast of Scotland. It's an old castle. Down below, over here, is Harpenden, and that's outside of London. Next to that is uh, Herschel. Not Herschel. Her- 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 Let me see if I got this pronounced. Perfect. Herlach. Herlach. That's another castle that's in Germany. And to the right is the U of N campus in Kona where Heather and I and the girls had served and worked. But let me come back over here to the YWAM Ships campus. And let me tell you a story about it. In 1820, there was missionaries sent out from New England out to the Central Pacific. They had a word of the Lord and a fresh translation of the Bible into the Hawaiian language. And they took it back to this place called Hawaii. And at the time, there was a collapse of the sacred religious system, and there was a vacuum. God had ordained the time for the gospel to come to Polynesia, to the Central Pacific. They landed there. They were received. Thousands of people on the island of Hawaii received the gospel. There was massive revival. This land became mission land. It was given over to the missionaries to be their home. 
So that was back in 1820. Fast forward to the 21st century. In the year 2013, this place was an old, decrepit hotel, stone's throw away from the water, and it was given as a lease to YWAM ships. And so a bunch of us from the other campus went over there and helped out. We were taking out trash, ripping out carpeting, painting, trying to bring life back to the property. Fast forward another year to 2014, and Heather, my wife, does her DTS there, her discipleship training school with YWAM Ships. And over the years since then, we've served in multiple DTSs and helped out in different things, different schools, different conferences, different seminars that were held there. Fast forward to the year 2021. The owner of the property approaches YWAM Ships and says, we've decided to sell our property, but we want to give you all the first right of refusal. And the asking price, by the way, is $8.2 million. So our friends with YWAM Ships looked in their bank account and said, well, we've got $36,000 in the bank. But we believe God is on this. The Holy Spirit is saying yes. And so over the course of about six months, there was massive prayer. There was reaching out to friends around the world. They closed escrow on this property in April. An $8.2 million property, prime real estate in the heart of Kona, the most expensive zip code in the west, the middle of the ocean. Adonai Yaira provided. These guys had skin in the game, but Adonai saw and provided for the sake of others unto the least, the last, and the lost. Let me share another quick story. You've heard of Dayspring Card Company. It's kind of like Hallmark, but has Christian message to it. The matriarch of Dayspring Cards out in Arkansas, Siloam Springs, Arkansas, was praying, who might I give a 400-acre farm to? It's got warehouses with the old printing facilities and distribution and offices, and apartments. Who might I give this to as a legacy? Some friends of ours, who originally from Arkansas, moved back from Kona to Arkansas. They'd pioneered the family DTS, which is held out in Kona, and here in Chico, and down Panama, a whole bunch of places around the world. The Holy Spirit brought them together, and it was a match. And in March of this year, they were able to get that property. No strings attached. Because God saw and he provided. If you look at YWAM ships, go to the next slide, please. You'll see it's a constant testimony of God's goodness on display. Each of these ships had a former life. The one on the left over there, the PNG, that used to be a shallow draft cruise ship. The one in the middle, that is the Liberty. Back in the day, it used to be a French icebreaker. It's got cargo hold underneath for containers, a helicopter pad up on top. It's a heavy ship. There's the Aatora down here. It was a cargo ship. There is the sailing ship Ruach. It's over here. All these vessels are deployed in the Western Pacific. And there's just a small sampling of 26 vessels that YWAM has been able to 
receive and deploy around the world to reach the least, the last, and the lost. Because God sees and he provides for the sake of others. Are you feeling challenged by Jehovah Jireh, by Adonai, your master? Are you feeling this? Let me share with you one of my heroes of the faith from the 19th century, a fellow by the name of George Mueller. And George in his day was able to pray in resources and land and people and provision to raise up 10,000 orphans from around Britain and to give them a hope and a future. Some of these became influencers in their day in the marketplace, in government, in ministry, and in foreign missions. George had skin in the game and he believed that God could provide. It says this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. We don't have the power, but Adonai Yaira, he sees and he provides for the sake of others. Recently, in January of this year, um, our family, we have an orchard out on the west side of town, Ammon Orchard. And there was a freeze alert. The temperature was going to drop down into the low 20s. And so I went out to the irrigation system, got it ready to go. It was on a Saturday evening. And I was cleaning out this filter, this horizontal filter that you see in the next picture over here on the left. I turned on the valve. The filter came shooting out like a torpedo, hit the piece of plastic in behind me and broke it off. And I'm looking at this thing right as the sun is going down. It's a Saturday evening. I just destroyed my irrigation system. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're not going to be able to provide, or you're not going to be able to protect these trees, but I'm the God of increase. For four days, the temperature in the evenings plunged down into the 20s. My neighbors were all turning on their irrigation systems. There was ice hanging out of the trees. I couldn't do anything because that's a three-inch piece of pipe, and you just don't go get that at Lowe's. You got to wait until the irrigation supply house opens up. But I rested in the reality that my master saw and would provide. You know what? We've got almonds on our trees. Not because of anything I did, because of what he did. And I share that with you as an encouragement, because he sees, he provides. And it's unto something bigger than us. Hudson Taylor is another cool hero of mine. He also lived in the 19th century and he's considered the father of modern missions. This guy went to China and he immersed himself in the language and the culture. And he did it for the sake of others. He says this, God is not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. So 
So I say to you, neighborhood church, what is your need? Is it confidence? Is it contentment with your circumstances? Is it patience with where you're at? Is it faith to move forward into something else that you're called to? What is your need? Is it for physical healing? Is it for emotional restoration? Is it a burden that you're carrying on behalf of someone else that's near and dear? What is your need? Is it a dead dream? Is it courage to move in to something new that you're called to? What is it? Is it for financial provision? Is it for housing? Is it for transportation? What is it? I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Father God, we acknowledge that you are Jehovah, you are amazing, you are mighty, you are glorious. You are Adonai, the master. You are the one who holds us inside your hands. And not only that, you are Jireh. And in you, we find everything we need for life, We find our focus in you, our purpose. We find contentment in you. We find peace in you. Your word says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, to lift up our request to you. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So we say yes and amen to that. We receive from you that peace and with it the provision that comes because you are the God who sees and you provide, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. So we bring to you what is in our hands, what is on our hearts, what are the things that we hold near and dear, our prized possessions, our dreams, our hurts, our wounds, our hopes. We bring it to you, we acknowledge it before you, knowing that you see and you provide that you are good and that you love us more than life itself. So we rest in that reality and we take courage in that reality. 
we walk in the confidence of that truth because we know that you have our best intentions in mind, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others, so that the least, the last, and the lost may hear and know that God is good. We say yes and amen to that. I bless my friends here in the house and online with life and peace and courage to move forward, just like Abraham did. The word says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Yes, who he who had received the promises was offering up his one and only son, the one whom about it was said, through Isaac, offspring shall be named for you. He reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. In a sense, he did receive him back from there. So we give to you these things that even though they may seem dead to you because you are the God who sees and provides, we take courage in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you, if there's things on your heart that you'd like prayer for, we're going to have friends that are up here. Come on up. They're going to be available to pray for you. I want to thank you all, my friends, for joining us here in the house and neighborhood as well as online because we're going to see you again next week.